0: Since it is Mother's Day and I know my mom is watching, just want to wish you a happy Mother's Day, Mom. I love you very much. Um, With that said, let's open up to John 17. And we're going to be in verses 20 through 22 this morning. I'll read them for you and then we'll pray. Jesus said in verse 20 of chapter 17, I did not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Lord, we come before you with this passage of Scripture, Lord, and we ask, Lord, that you would illuminate our hearts, that you would give us understanding that we would know what it is to be one in you, Lord, to be one with you and to be a, a bright witness to the world around us in that unity. I pray that through your word this morning, you would edify us, Lord. You'd lead us to repentance as your church. You'd call us out of darkness. You'd illuminate your truth within our hearts that we would see our stubbornness, our wicked ways, Lord. We'd be confronted with your truth and And you would change us, God, from the inside out. Thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together uh, virtually. And we ask that your name would be blessed and you would receive all glory and honor in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's the night before the cross. uh, And Jesus and his disciples are somewhere in the city of Jerusalem. They left the upper room at the end of chapter 14. And Jesus is just about to be arrested within a very short amount of time in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so Jesus is praying in chapter 17 for his disciples. He's going to leave them very shortly. And he has several things on his mind as he is uh, beginning to pray for his disciples in the first 19 verses there of chapter 17, which we went over last week. But I'll just remind you of four of those things that Jesus prayed to the Father. Um, First of all, in verse 11, Jesus prayed for his disciples there, uh, that the Father would keep them in the name. That is, that that just as Jesus and the Father were one, that they would be unified with one another in Christ. And secondly, um, in verse 13, that their joy would be full, that as they experienced that unity In Christ, that they would have joy as they they would know that the Father was keeping them and they had love for one another as the Father was keeping them in that love, that they would have joy and that joy would be full. And so Jesus prayed for their joy. And then thirdly, in verse 15, Jesus prayed that they would be protected from the evil one. And because they were called out of the world, because they were Christ, because they would love one another and have his joy, the world would reject them just as uh, they rejected the Son, the prince of this world. The devil would seek to destroy their faith. And so Jesus prayed to the Father for divine protection for them. Not that they would not experience persecution, but in the midst of persecution and in the midst of a Christ-rejecting world and, a, and a midst, in the midst of a world that killed the Messiah and would go after the followers, that they would have be protected. that Their faith would not fail, would, would persevere. And lastly, in verses 17 through 19, Jesus prays that his disciples would be sanctified in the truth as they were sent out into the world. And so they'd be sent into this world um, as they were one with the Father, as they were one with each other, as they remained in his love, um, as they had his joy, they would be sent out into a world that would reject them with the enemy coming, coming at them. And yet, Jesus prays that as they would go out, they would be sanctified in the truth. They would be set apart for God's purposes as the word of God permeated their hearts. And that was Christ's uh, cry to the Father for them, that the disciples would continue the work of sharing the gospel and that that would have an impact. And so that leads us to our verses today in verse 20, because Jesus knew that the ministry would continue through them and the result of them being in the Lord and in one another and having joy and then sharing the gospel, being kept by the Lord, is that others would come to believe. And so where we pick up in verse 20 happened, and Jesus says, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through their testimony. See, God's plan didn't stop with Jesus. It was multiplied in the disciples. And others would believe upon Jesus through their word. And so if indeed, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that is... that you believe that the Father sent His one and only Son to die on the cross for your sins and that He rose again on the third day to give you eternal life. If you believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And if you are um, listening on Facebook and YouTube, right now in the comments section, type a big amen with an exclamation point. But we who are those who, who, who are born again, those who believe, we are the ones that Jesus is praying for here in John 17 and all who actually followed after and will follow after the apostles and believed through their word, verse 20. Um, that is That we have believed upon Jesus because of their testimony. You see, we are believers in Jesus because, um, because the disciples were sent by Jesus into the world. They are the ones who saw Christ, handled Christ, walked with Christ, witnessed his life, death, resurrection. And they testified to the world and the power of the Holy Spirit of who Jesus was. And people believed out of the world and were saved. And if that's you... We, you are one who has believed according to their witness, their word, and Jesus was praying for us. And here we are reading the book of John this morning, a testimony of one of those men who handled the word of God, who the literal word of God, Jesus Christ, who, who touched him, walked with him, heard him, uh, conversed with him, saw his miracles, and he proclaimed the gospel hearing the Gospel of John, and many of you have come to faith in Jesus Christ by hearing the Gospel of John or one of the other messages in Scripture as the Gospel has been proclaimed. And so it was through the testimony of the apostles, empowered by the Holy Spirit, handed down to us throughout the ages on the blood of, by the blood of martyrs, basically, that we come to faith in Christ. And Jesus says there in verse 20, I don't ask for these only, meaning not just the, the, the 11 who were in that room at that time, the apostles, but he says, but for those who will believe in me through their word, and that is you and that is me. Praise the Lord. And so Jesus in verse 21 starts to pray for us. And I would take notes here if I were you, and this is where we're going to spend our time this morning because it's very rich. Verse 21, Jesus prays for us. And he says, I don't pray for just just for the apostles, but I pray for them who will believe that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus prays three things here for us who have believed. The first would be that... Um, that we would be unified with one another. And secondly, that we would be unified with God, that we'd be in harmony with God. And then thirdly, that as a result of that, that the world would come to know that Jesus Christ was sent. And so to simply put, Jesus prayed for unity, harmony, and a witness. Jesus' first request as he was praying to the Father there for us, was that we would be one as they were one. That was Jesus' first prayer request, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they would be one, just like we're one, Jesus prayed. And if you haven't picked up on it yet, John 17 is, is, is absolutely full of Jesus speaking about unity, It's it's a priority for Jesus, the unity between He and the Father. If you haven't picked up on it, I would encourage you to go along with me just for a second in John 17 as we look through. But the reason that Jesus has, has put such a heavy emphasis on unity in John 17 as He's praying is He's praying for the believer's perfect unity. It's because this perfect unity that He's asking the Father for for us is the exact unity that he has with the Father. They've had a perfect unity from eternity past, and Jesus says, I've come to give them the perfect unity that just as we are one, they would be one, that just as they are one, they would be in us. There would be this unity that would happen in Christ, complete unity with one another. And so if you just look back over this chapter, you see Jesus' emphasis You might not get it at first read, but as you read, you start to see that Jesus emphasizes this unity. Just look at back in John 17, beginning in verse 1. Jesus speaks of being glorified so that he could glorify the Father. You see, the glory that he would receive would be uh, would be to the father's benefit that he would receive the glory as well, so they were unified in their glory, verse two, the son is given authority to give eternal life to whom the father has given them, and so they're unified in their authority. the son's authority was given to the father so that they would uh, so that the son would give eternal life, and that those people who would believe would come to know not just the father but the father and the son they would they had unity in authority and unity in in, um, in eternal life and unity in those who would come and know them. Verse 5, Jesus speaks of the glory that he had with the Father before the world existed. They were united in their glory. Uh, they shared in their glory in the eternity past. In verse 6, the Father gives people to the Son. He gives people out of the world to the Son. And in verse 10, Jesus says that all the people that are, are are the sons are the fathers. And so to be the sons is to be the fathers. To be the fathers is to be the son. There is unity. There's perfect unity within God. You see, there's this perfect uh, relationship of unity between the Father, Son, and Spirit. And by the way, this goes on and on and over and over Um, in John's writings, and I'm just going to limit it to John's writings, so not only in his gospel, but also in his letters. Um, The Father and Son are one, John uh, 14, 9. If you've seen the Son, you have seen the Father, John 14, 9. Um, In 1 John 2, 23, if you reject the Son, you reject the the Father. Um, The Father loves us because we love the Son, John 16, 27. In John 15, Uh, The Spirit will indwell the believer. I think it's John 14. The Spirit will indwell the believer. But a few verses later, the Father and Son uh, indwell the believer. And so not only does uh, the Spirit permanently indwell the believer, but the Father and the Son indwell the believer. God is unified in indwelling the believer. You see, there's a relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that existed before the world began. A relationship of perfect unity perfect love between them. And the Father has graciously, through the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ, He has and He is bringing people out of the world into that relationship with Him. That's what's happening. That's what it is to be born again, is to be brought out of the world into this eternal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And it is defined by unity and love, a perfect unity and a perfect love. And this is why Jesus prayed that we who believe now through the witness of those apostles may all be one, Jesus says, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So just to bring a little bit more clarity here about unity, because it's a very kind of subjective word. When we say we want to be unified, is it, is it just all getting along as Christians? What, what does that mean? So just to bring a little more clarity here, our unity isn't subjective like the the world's unity, where they all rally around a cause and, and get together for a little while, and then they break apart when, when they don't like it anymore. But for us who believe, our unity is based upon the truth of God's Word demonstrated or lived out in us in love. Truth in love. That's what we're unified over as a believer. We're unified in truth according to God's Word, because Jesus said, What is truth? Your word is truth. We're unified in the word of God and love, that it's actually what we read, what we see from God is actually lived out in love. And I have to break that down a little further, but you really can't have unity without truth and love. They're both essential components for having unity, to being one. Just look at the Ten Commandments, for example. Uh, you can look at them as a bunch of do's and don'ts. You know, you shall know other gods, um, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not lie. You see all these types of commands, and you, look at them, you can look at them as a bunch of, of do's and don'ts. But these actually, these commands flow from God's very being. They flow from His character. They flow from his essence, who he is. There's a heart behind what he says. There's a reason why he's saying what he's saying. And if you look at at how Jesus kind of defines these things as you get into the New Testament, um, uh, you look at the commandments and Jesus says they can be summed up with with the Ten Commandments with with two laws. He says the first one, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so you see, the truth is absolutely there, but love fulfills the law. When you have other gods, for example, you are breaking unity with God. When you lie to one another, when we, um, uh, when we covet each other's stuff, Uh, we are breaking unity with one another, and that is not love. And so the context of our unity with one another, which is important, is obedience to God's word. So we have the truth there, but we live it out actually in a God-given, Spirit-empowered love for one another in Christ. And if you've walked a little bit, as a Christian, you know that our unity can be broken. Our unity with one another can be broken. It can be disrupted. And this is a, a very sad thing that I've experienced personally and I'm sure you as well as Christians. We can break that bond of peace when we have truth without love or we have love without truth. You can see it happen over and over. In a case in point, 1 Corinthians 13 speaks to the heart of love and unity. The the Corinthian church there was a very gifted church. They had received um, the gifts of the Spirit, but how they were operating those gifts in Spirit had nothing to do with love. It was a very self-centered way. And, And the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit was the edification of the church, the building up to the church. The various gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to the church are to build you up. And you don't have all the gifts. I don't have all the gifts. I might have one or two or a few of them, just like you, and we are to use those to build one another up. That was not happening in the Corinthian church, and they had a bunch of problems. They had favoritism going on in that they would um, say that they liked this pastor over that pastor, and they and they were they're following this guy over that guy, and so there's just this division that came about. Um, they were neglecting the poor at their feasts. They were esteeming uh, the rich above the poor. They were getting drunk, and there was a bunch of uh, problems, sexual morality. There were lawsuits. They were suing each other, um, and just just it was the very it was the furthest thing of from unity. It was the furthest thing from love. And Paul writing and to teach them and to correct them because Paul loved them, uh, was writing about the gifts of the Spirit. He was trying to correct them. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 12 speaks of the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 speaks of the Spirit. And right in the middle of, of the, talking about the gifts of the Spirit is 1 Corinthians 13, which is called the love chapter. And so right in the middle of there, um, we see Paul write, these words in 1 Corinthians starting in verse uh, 13 starting in verse 4 uh, just verse 4 through 7 or 4 through 8 here he goes he goes love is patient you want to know what love looks like he goes love is patient love is kind love does not envy or boast it is not arrogant it's not rude it doesn't insist its own way it's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know, I, I just to be um, flat out about this, as I was reading this, I was very convicted because I haven't been loving in this way. And, and and it just shows me that I'm just like Corinthians Corinthian sometimes, maybe you too. Um, but you see those attributes there of that, um, you know, as you went through them, the patience and the kindness and not boasting and not arrogant or rude, insisting its own way, not irritable or resentful, those are all attributes of God. That's what God's like. He's very patient with us and kind. And we who believe supposedly have been born again, if we are believers, we have been received the Spirit of God within us, and that nature now indwells within us, and the fruit of the Spirit should now start to come about in our lives. We should start to manifest love, joy, peace, patience, and it goes on and on. And, and one of the things that Jesus said is that if you love me, like you say you're my disciple, well, you'll if you're my disciple, you love me, because that's what it is, being in Christ. You have a love for Jesus. Um, if you love me, you will obey my commands. See, there's the truth. And here Jesus says, if you love me, here's the truth, and here's what I want you to do. And he says, go love one another as I have loved you. And so you see it, unity in truth and love, and you can't have one without the other. You can have truth without love And you have disunity. You can have love, this ambiguous worldly love that somehow the church has been swept up in yet lately, that we just got to love people. And there's no definition to it. No, God defines what love is in his word. You can't have love without truth. And here, this is where we meet the scripture. The Lord gives us truth and we obey in love for him and in love for one another. And so Jesus prayed for those who would believe that we would be unified, that we would be one, just as the Father and Son are one. And so, brothers and sisters, it is our Father's desire and it is the Son's prayer here for us to be perfectly one in them. And just to wrap up this first point, just to give you a visual picture because I've talked a little bit about um, the angles of this unity, so to speak, but there's, there's pictures that the New Testament gives about this unity that we're to have. And one of the pictures is that the church is called the body of Christ. And just as you're sitting there right now, you have a, you have a physical body. And so um, the, the New Testament paints the pictures that we're all like parts of a body. We, are, we have diversity and yet there is unity in the body as we are subject to the head who is Jesus Christ, as he directs us. We are unified in Him, and, and, and of course, if one part is hurt, the other part of the body comes to its aid. If one is strong, the other rejoices, and you have all these pictures of the, the church being a body, but each with different gifts and functions to bless itself and to glorify its head, Jesus Christ. The second is the church is called a temple or a building, And we see that, and and the picture is that Christ is the cornerstone. He's what everything else is set upon, and then you have the foundations of the prophets and the apostles, their teachings, which proclaim Him. And then there's a picture of the church being like the, the, the stones. We're like the stones being all fit together on top of that foundation as we, tr- as we believe in their testimony and in the truth of, of Jesus Christ. We are built upon that truth and God's Spirit kind of indwells the temple. Yes, us individually, but us as the church. And so we have this picture of the temple of God or, or a picture of a building in which God's Spirit dwells. But lastly, the the last illustration uh, regarding uh, the unity of the church is that the New Testament is not only only a body, it's not only a building, but it's also a bride. We're called the bride of Christ. And that brings in the picture of marriage where the two become one. Two separate entities become now one. And the bride has been joined together. Together with her groom, we are the bride of Christ and he is the groom. And so there's the picture of marriage um, that is unending, unfailing, and is supposed to be unity in love. And so you have the picture of the submission of the bride and the love of the husband and the love of the bride and the, um, the uh, husband laying down his life for the Bride, and there's just this mutual beneficial um, unity that happens in marriage and and that's the other picture that is laid out in the New Testament. So church, the Lord Jesus prayed first of all, that we would be one, just as God is one. I pray that we would we would re- resemble that this week more and more. Secondly, and I don't want to belabor this point because a lot of it was wrapped up in the first verse, but uh, first first point, that because of our unity, we would be in the Father and the Son. Jesus says because of their unity that that they would be in us. Uh, Now, I don't believe Jesus is saying that as a result of them getting along and being in unity, that they are now saved and are in us, that Jesus is not talking about salvation here. Rather, I believe Jesus is saying that when believers are unified in the truth and in the love, when they are unified together, when they're loving one another, that they are now fellowshipping with us, that they are now in us. They're in harmony with our relationship that we've had before the foundations of the earth. But we know that that harmony can be disrupted, as I spoke about before. It's interesting um, that our disunity with one another causes a disruption in our unity with God. Not that we lose our position in Christ. Not that we are become unsaved. That's not what we're talking about. But we actually lose peace. You know, it's like I have kids, and they're always going to be my kids. Uh, and, and they'll, they'll do a variety of things, but the degree that we have peace one, with, another, with one another is, is, is based upon how we act towards one another. And with God, obviously, He's perfect. He has no faults. But the degree that we, are, um, that we are in harmony with one another, in love with one another, according to our Father's word, according to His truth, is to the degree that we have the peace of God and we experience this unity with the Father. And I believe this is what Jesus is praying, that this unity with one another would be sustained, that we would be in them, that we would be in harmony with God. And it's so important for us as believers to pursue unity uh, with one another in the Lord. It is under constant attack from within, from from our own flesh, our own fallen body, our own fallen desires. It's from a, it's 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 being attacked from the enemy, and it's being reinforced by the fallen world around us. And so there's a war going on, and we must be a church who pursues unity. And again, uh, unity in truth and unity in love. Paul speaks of this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I want to read it for you real quickly. Paul's a prisoner. He's writing to them. He says, I therefore a, pri- I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of a calling which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love verse 3 underline it eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace you see we have been called to this unity in Christ and Paul urges them and eagerly maintain it it is something you must pursue and be aware of otherwise you will fall into the trap of disunity or false unity. And how do we do that? How do we maintain unity? Well, we walk worthy. How do we walk worthy? That is with humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. And I would encourage you to read through that for homework and uh, let the Lord speak to you. But basically what he's, he's what Paul is saying here, it's code for keeping in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit and you're going to be at peace with one another and you're going to be at peace with God. You're going to have unity. Galatians 5, 16 through 26 says, keep in step with the Spirit. And it goes on on and, and what that doesn't look like and what that does look like. But when we do, when we keep in step with the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit comes about. And we experience that harmony and that peace with one another and with God. And Paul finishes those verses by the way in, in Ephesians. he says there, he says there, there is one body. After he, after he encourages them to be unified and to pursue that peace, he says pursue that unity, he says there, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so Paul's talking about this unity that we are unified in one body. We're in the body of Christ. No matter where you are on this planet right now, if you are a believer, we are in one body. We're in the body of Christ. We have one spirit. You don't have a different Holy Spirit than I do. We have been brought together with one spirit. That's what makes us His. We have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, the down payment of our salvation, uh, the Holy Spirit abiding in the believer. You have the same spirit wherever you're sitting as, as I do, as the same one that the apostles did. And we are called to one hope. We all have one hope, church, And we have one Lord, Jesus Christ. We have one faith, the gospel, one baptism. Not the physical baptism, but what it represents. The new birth. We have one salvation. We were brought in by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We were made alive when the Spirit entered into us and made us a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we have one God and Father of all. Um, There we have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, And we are not a divided people, church. We are not a divided people. We are one. And when we act like it, we are in harmony. And the Father and the Son are in harmony with us. And lastly, after Jesus prays that we would would be one with one another and that we would be in the Father and the Son, at the end of verse 21, he prays that this unity would result in something that the that as a result of our unity with one another and unity with the Lord our harmony with the Lord that there would be a witness that the world may believe that you have sent me church our, our unity with one another our harmony with God is our witness to the world it's what validates the gospel it's what verifies that it actually really happened and took place. Not just facts, but that actually there's a change that happened in us. You know, our unity with one another and God is based upon the foundation of the, world, of the Word, right? But it's lived out in love. And it's the way that lost people see God. It's the way they believe upon Jesus Christ, they see him alive in us. you see the the world is is naturally divided. we all know we've all been born into the world, we've been born into families, we have sinful flesh attached to us yeah right and the naturally we're naturally divided. I mean, just read the comments section of any website and just see how naturally divided the world gets at at our worst there, but that division comes from within, that comes from an unsaved, uh, fallen nature. James speaks to this, these passions that war against us and, and, and keep us divided um, as just in the, in the world. James speaks of this in James 4, 1 through 2, where he says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? You ever wondered that? Well, James has an answer to that. Is it not that your passions are at war within you. So you've got a war going on within you. You want something. There's something you're desiring and passioning. You desire and you do not have it. And so you murder. He goes to the greatest extremes. You kill for it. We see that in our world. You covet and you do, and cannot obtain. And so you fight and quarrel. And so the reason for fighting and quarreling and division is because I want something and I'm not getting it. And every person, you know it, You've seen it. If you have kids, it's in them from the very beginning. They want something. Mine. It's beautiful words that come out of a child's mouth. Mine, you know, it's just mine. And uh, it's in us and it doesn't go away. We refine it a little bit, but at the core of who we are as people, there is a mine heart instead of his. And we all know this. And you see as believers, the unredeemed world around us that no matter how refined it is, at its core, there are ultimately, they are ultimately, and sadly, the church is ultimately driven and ruled by their passions. In our flesh, Paul says, good, uh, dwells no good thing. We are ultimately driven and ruled by selfish desires. That's human nature apart from the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. And if you have known a human being for any length of time you've seen it in them and you've seen it in in you but those who belong to Christ Paul says in Galatians 5:24 have crucified the flesh with its passions we've put those things to death now obviously that's a process but you see by God's spirit we not only see it within us now we begin to cry out to God to change our old self. And God empowers us as we obey Him to put to death the deeds of the flesh. We turn away from sin and we turn towards God in repentance. And so those old attitudes, those selfish things that pop up, the me, the my heart, gets crucified as the Holy Spirit says, this is not who you are anymore. This is not in harmony with me anymore. And believers begin to grow and mature and discern good and evil in us and around us. And we put those things to death and we follow God in love and we love one another. And so our unity and our love in Christ are actually our witness. When the world sees a person change from a selfish human being into a loving human being, that's the witness. What in the world happened to that person? Brothers and sisters, we we should be different now. We're, We're now different. We are different in Christ. We have God's Spirit within us, amen. And it's marked by His love and 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 shown in our love for one another. In the world, when they see a people, when they see a group, when they see a church that are truly unified in love towards one another, and not a subjective love, but a, a love based on the truth of God, when we're in harmony with one another, when we read the word and say, yes, that is truth, let's conform to it. And I want to love you that way. And we say, Lord, do that in us. And there's this love that we have for one another and, and we're in harmony with God. We don't have, uh, our consciences aren't weighing on us all the time because we're breaking uh, that love and that unity. When there's this harmony, there's a, there's a witness that flows out of that to the dark world around us. You see, it, it validates the gospel that we preach because it's, it lines up with the gospel that we live. We testified to the world something that is out of this world, something that is otherworldly when we are unified together in Christ, practically as we are positionally. It validates our preaching, it validates the claim that God did indeed send his son. And has power over sinful man, our selfishness, has power over us to redeem us and gives us his spirit, new life in him. And Jesus says at the end of verse 20, that the result may be that the world may believe that you have sent me. The world needs to hear the gospel preached through your mouth, and it needs to see it validated through your love and actions. That is our calling. You see, that the mission did not end with the disciples. As the disciples died off, they had those who believed and who carried on the gospel, and it's it's been brought to you, and you believe. And if you haven't believed right now, we invite you to believe. God invites you to believe upon his son. If you are trapped in your sin and you are overcome by by your selfishness, and you are being convicted by the Holy Spirit, and you know that you are sunk before a holy God. God has provided His Son to, He came and He died on the cross for your sins, to pay the penalty of your sin, but not only that, but to give you what you don't have, His life, His Spirit, His love, His joy, His peace. You surrender to Christ right now. And you call out to him, and if you've prayed that prayer and you're saying, that's me, go ahead and write in the comments section and say, pray for me. I gave my life to Jesus, and we will reach out to you. We will pray for you. You've got, you'll have got you have tons of people praying for you right there as they're watching this. But the fact is that we who believe uh, as the church should begin to pray for our unity. We should begin to pray for this um, as we pray for the lost, which we do, and I, and I really enjoy being a part of this fellowship where we pray for the lost, as you're praying for those loved ones, pray that we actually, that our witness would be powerful, that what we say matches up with how we live. You can pray for me on that, that, that we wouldn't just be a truth church, which we are, and you don't want to minimize the truth one iota. But you don't want to minimize the love. that It has to be practiced. It has to be lived. And that is a work of the Holy Spirit within his church. Pray for that. And this is where I think the Lord's calling me and, and you and, and us to repent. To say, Lord, we, we aren't unified. We're pretty selfish beings. We, 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 we like to follow you, Lord, as long as it's convenient for us. But, Lord, when it comes down to laying down our lives for one another... And to esteeming others above ourselves, Lord, our self is just still there. Will you please teach me to crucify it? (laughs) Excuse me. And the Lord will answer that prayer. And he'll lead you in areas where you need to speak with someone (coughs) and ask for forgiveness, um, where you need to change an attitude and action. And then as you do and as you obey the Lord, His peace begins to flood your life and restoration happens and unity happens and then the gospel is more clear and proclaimed in and through you and through the church around you. So pray this way, church. Pray. Pray for unity, that we would be one, that we would know the truth and that that truth would result in love for one another in harmony with God. You see, God has always been in perfect unity, in perfect harmony. And he sent his son to die to bring you and to bring me into that eternal harmony with him, that eternal unity that we would all be one. And that's what eternity is going to be like. And that's where Jesus is headed here eventually. But in verse 22, Jesus sums up his thoughts here as he prays for us. In verse 22 and 23, he says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. He shares his glory with us. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. You see, the love that the Father has for the Son was the love that the Son has for us. Jesus said earlier, the Father himself loves you. We are one in Christ, in God. We're going to end there. And we'll pick up next Sunday in verse 24 where Jesus begins to pray uh, for believers that we would be in him, see his glory. And so there's this focus on eternity and we will go there next week and finish up John 17. And so let's pray, let's close out in prayer, and then um, and then we'll go ahead and, and wrap it up. Father, we uh, want to thank you for this word. Lord, there's so much there. We see how beautiful you and the Son and the Spirit are in just perfect harmony, Lord. And we look at our own lives and our own flesh, and we're, di- we're divided, we're at war. And yet, for those who are in Christ, we have crucified our passions. And so, Lord, make that so. May we be in Christ. May we crucify and deny our own selfish tendencies. And may we follow you. And may you bring unity a true unity and truth, and true love to your church. And we pray that many would come to know you as they see you radiate in your church in the darkness. And so, Lord, we pray that through all of this, you would be glorified, Father. You'd receive all glory and praise and honor as we are just so thankful for your Son. So do that work right now, God. Whoever is listening, that there would be a, a breaking in our hearts, a changing in our ways, a dependence upon you, a humility. And there would be love that would flow again. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.